0: chapter 21, Job chapter 21, and I know I have a briefer sermon in me, so I'm going to go for that and try to stick with it. Y'all pray for me, we will do the best we can, praise the Lord. Job chapter 21, I have several verses to read you this morning as we go along in the sermon, but I think this is about the only place we'll turn to here is Job chapter 21, and then I have others that I will read you for time's sake, and Jason, I'm going to switch my microphone over. All set, let me know you got me coming through, All right. thank you. Praise the Lord, Job chapter 21, and to begin with, let's read verse number 34. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood. If you know the background and story of the book of Job, he was going through trials that most of us could only imagine. His children had died, his possessions had been taken, and then his body was racked with sickness, and he sat scraping away at the boils that were eating up his skin in misery. As then happened, his friends gathered around him and began to give him their opinion. And if you know the context in the chapters of the book of Job, his friends, you could almost put the phrase friends in quotes, because he tells them at another place, miserable comforters are ye all. You're trying to comfort me, and you're doing a pretty bad job. And basically what they had to say, chapter after chapter, his three friends mostly, all of it pretty much boiled down to, Job, there is no way that God would punish anyone this much unless their wickedness exceeded the wickedness wickedness of others, and God decided to smite them down. And Job defended himself, and he said, I've not lived in public or open or secret, unrepentant sin. I've received the fatherless, the widows. I've not turned anyone away that needed anything. And he was saying, you don't really know what you're talking about. And then at the end of this chapter, let's pick it up in verse number 27, where he answers his friends, and he says, I believe your answers are wrong. Verse 27, Behold, I know your thoughts, and the devices which ye wrongfully imagine against me. For ye say, where is the house of the prince? And where are the dwelling places of the wicked? In other words, his friends were coming to him and saying, the wicked are immediately destroyed from off the face of the earth. You can't even point to where their dwelling places are. If you're wicked, God comes and takes you out. Therefore, that must be what's happening to you, is that you're wicked and God is coming against you. But we know that that's not true. That's not not the truth, and that's what Job goes on to explain is that sometimes the wicked are not immediately cut down, sometimes they are reserved unto the day of judgment, but that day will come. Verse 29. Have ye not asked them that go by the way, and do ye not know their tokens? Them that go by the way would refer to travelers and those who go up and down and around and learn about the world and gain knowledge from their travels. And he mentions there their tokens. The word tokens there means sign, signal, or mark. Here it is used in the context of wisdom that they have gained from traveling around and seeing what is going on in the world. He said you could ask people who have gained that kind of wisdom, and this is what they will tell you, verse 30, that the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Here Job says sometimes God takes the wicked and He reserves them to the day of judgment that is coming later, and they shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Just because someone is still around and it doesn't look like they're being judged right now, do not believe that they have escaped God's judgment or it means that God will not have anything to say to them, sometimes God is just waiting. Verse 31, who shall declare his way to his face and who shall repay him what he hath done? This verse here refers to the fact that often wicked, evil people are people that are powerful people. They have a lot of influence. And he says, who will be able to go up to him and tell him that he's wrong and be able to repay him for what he hath done? And sometimes our hearts are troubled. And we look at different writings in the Psalms and places in the Bible where God God tells us, don't be envious of the wicked. Don't be troubled because it seems as if wicked people are continuing on and on into sin and wickedness. And even today we say, well, this person did something wicked... And then they got famous and made a whole bunch of money. Is there even a God in heaven? Where is the justice? And God tells us, do not be envious of them. Do not think that God is not in control. But remember, there is a God to which all of us will answer to someday. And the truth is that we don't really get away with sin. God sees it all. Our heart should be the heart of God, which is mercy, love, and compassion, and that sinners would repent and not come to judgment. But just remember that the person who does wicked and evil, though the jury may vote not guilty, and though it may have been done in secret and it can't be proven, God has seen what they have done, and God will one day cause them to answer to Him for the sin that they have committed. Verse 31 says, Though they may be powerful people, then verse 32 says, Yet, yet shall he be brought to the grave and shall remain in the tomb. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how many lawyers you have working for you or how much money you have in your account. Yet one day you will be brought to the grave and your body will remain in In the tomb, death comes for us all. Verse 33, "...the clods of the valley shall be sweet unto him, and every man shall draw after him, as there are innumerable before him." What Job is saying here is, remember, all people will die someday. And though there may be wicked people whom God has not cut down, they will head to the grave the same as every other person. All die and all one day stand before God for the judgment. He's trying to tell them you're wrong in the answer you're giving me. It's not just that I'm so wicked and that's why God's cutting me down. Maybe there's another reason that God is doing this for. And sometimes the wicked are not cut down immediately. Then he says in verse number 34, which we took for our text verse, How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehood. Job said the comfort you're offering me is not really comfort at all, because all you're saying is, well, you're wicked and God is cutting you down. He said, but that's not something I can be comforted by or a saying that I can receive, because there's falsehood in it. It's faulty logic. It's faulty theology. It's faulty teaching. And by the way, God showed up in the end of the book and proved Job right. He agreed with Job. Job 42, 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath God showed up to these three friends who were speaking to him where he said your comfort is in vain there's falsehood in your answers and God said I'm angry at you three friends of Job for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right what Job has said is right, but what you have said is wrong. God himself showed up and unequivocally answered that his three friends had a lot of foolish things to say. You see, that's why we have to be careful when we study the Bible, when we read it, when we teach it, when we preach it. It all has to be taken in context because I could turn randomly to Job and see some things that would make a pretty good sermon and preach it as truth and then read through the rest of the book and see, wait a minute, that was a friend who was speaking a bunch of nonsense that God said he was wrong. The Bible is always accurate in what it records, but here it accurately records some foolish things that were said by Job's friends that you have to keep reading to find out that God said they were wrong. There was falsehood in their answers, therefore Job could not be comforted. I'll admit this morning that in preparing a briefer sermon, I have a sermon that's a little bit less exposition of the text than usual and a little bit more application than usual, but hopefully it's all grounded to the Bible and from this thought that Job had to say. Job could not be comforted by his friends because there were falsehoods in their answers. This world has much to be distressed about. Jason talked this morning about things we've seen in the news last year, this year, this week that are disturbing to us. And certainly to those who do not know God, these things are disturbing. We've been through the coronavirus, the pandemic, and a lot of people have died from being sick, but they're starting to find out that a whole lot of other people have died from mental health issues and anxiety and drug abuse and alcoholism and suicide because people were rattled, they were anxious, they were afraid, and that caused a lot of problems as well. We know that God did not create the world to be this way. He created it for men and women to be in perfect fellowship with God. But after the the fall, sin was introduced into the world. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They would not follow His Word. And the Bible says, Therefore, by one man, sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men. Physical death, but also spiritual death. You see, God did not intend for the world to have death, to have sickness, to have disease, to have violence, and all of these other horrible things that we see. That was not God's doing. That was man's doing because they chose to disobey God. They chose to sin. And sin has consequences. Job 14, 1 and 2, he said, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. If you watch TV in 2020 or in 2021, there's a lot of things that can bother you. There was a study that came out that we put on our Easter flyer when we relaunched the church and we're trying to invite people from the community and the study broke people down by demographics and they said we'll take people of this political party and of that political party. We'll take people of this age group and of that age group and out of the 16 different demographics they studied, they said in 2020 there was only one group that saw improvement in their mental health instead of decline and that demographic group was those who attended a religious service weekly. You see, I believe even people who go to synagogue or go to mosque get some benefit out of it that people don't because, no, they're not teaching the truth, but it's still following the biblical concept and precept of family and of gathering together on a weekly basis. But as we are troubled by these things, we cannot be comforted by the world's answers. And the reason for that is because there is falsehood in all of them. Just like Job's friend's answers could not comfort him because they contain faulty logic, faulty theology, faulty scripture interpretation. So the world and the lost cannot truly be comforted by the world's answers because there remains things in those answers that are not true. I believe that Jesus Christ is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I believe that God Himself is the only source of truth in this world. You cannot be comforted this morning by something you know is not true. If you're having a terrible week and a terrible time, and I come to you and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay, because tomorrow leprechauns, Bigfoot, and Mickey Mouse are going to come help you out. You're not going to be genuinely comforted by that, because you don't believe that it's true. People are looking for comfort. They are looking for answers. And often they look to the world, to people who do not know God, to get the answers and the comfort that they are seeking. And the answers that they receive bring vain comfort because they lack truth. Proverbs 13 and verse 12 says, Hope deferred, maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Number one, the world offers false answers. The world offers false answers. I attended a funeral one time as a younger man for someone in the church who I had ministered to, and in that family there was a death of a young person who, where there was alcohol and drunk driving involved in an overturned vehicle and a tragic death. And I remember seeing in that family that to my knowledge did not know God as their Savior, there was sorrow, there was weeping. Not just the kind of sorrow for someone we miss, but the kind of sorrow you see for someone who does not have hope 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 says this of christians but i would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep or those which have died that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope When we lose the loved one in Christ, we have sorrow. But it's not the same kind of sorrow that the world has because the world has no hope with their sorrow. We have sorrow, but we have the promises of the Word of God that when a loved one or a friend knows Christ as their Savior and we lose them, we will see them again someday. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 4 was talking about, that those who've died, we're not going to prevent them, but they will rise first. They will go up to meet the Lord. And then we we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And the end of the passage, verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The coming of Jesus Christ again to catch away His church. The fact that those who have died before will be with Him, are alive in His presence and have a resurrected body, that gives us something we can comfort one another with. Yes, God's answers are true answers. Peter was writing and he said to, to the first century church, he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables, but were are eyewitnesses of His majesty. He said, this isn't just a rumor that someone cooked up or something that they said, well, people need something to make them feel better. So let's invent a religion. He said, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw Jesus in His glorified body. I saw Him after He rose again from the dead. Paul said, there remains... a About 500, I think was the number he gave in 1 Corinthians, that you could go on a journey, you could travel, you could meet hundreds of people who saw Jesus Christ after He rose from the dead. We have the answers this morning that the world is looking for. We have the answers that every human heart and soul longs for to know the truth because we have the answers that we find in the Word of God. Satan's false answers abound. And people will dedicate their lives to all kinds of purposes and causes. Which, by the way, we were created to live for a purpose. We were created to give our life for a cause. But people will give their life to all kinds of causes that are empty, that are vain, that are false. Some in our world today have dedicated their entire life to the issue of the environment and to saving the planet. And they say, well, that's how you can make a difference and you can save the world. And they'll be okay with all kinds of sin and evil taking place in the world. But they'll say, boy, if you drive an SUV, you're just an evil person because you're burning holes in the ozone layer and you're destroying all the earth's resources. Often we see people who come from this unbiblical worldview and they'll say, well, don't have children. I don't want to have children. And they'll say, well, maybe you can have one or two if you want to. But it's so selfish to have a whole bunch of kids because that will burn through the world's resources. I want to say that's a lie. That's not true. And that's not a biblical worldview. The Bible says that children are a blessing. Children are the heritage of the Lord. They're given into our lives to be a blessing. And children, when we welcome them into the world and try to raise them up for Jesus Christ, it's a blessing to your family, to the church, and to the world at large. Get in your truck and take a drive and get out to Montana or Iowa or even East Texas. You'll find we got a whole lot of room to spread out and a whole lot of resources from this blessed earth that God... has given us and we can go ahead and have kids and raise them up for the Lord and not have to worry about the fact that we're going to destroy the planet by bringing more people to it. I believe that God created the planet to be a blessing to the people, not the people to worship the planet. My dad would talk about how he'll never forget seeing on the news when he was younger. It was Earth Day and there was literally people who on Earth Day were going to the parks and they were bowing down to the trees, worshiping them, hugging them, kissing them, and worshiping the ground and saying, we're here to worship this Mother Earth. That's foolish according to the biblical worldview. We won't read it for time's sake, but read Romans 1, 18-25. It talks about people who saw God. They knew Him as God, but they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful. So their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Wherefore it says, God will judge them, and they will be without excuse." We hear a lot of talk about global warming and how that's going to destroy the planet and it's usually connected to people saying, well, let's give the power to these politicians and they'll regulate what we put into the air and then that will save the planet. Now, let me just say this. I believe in taking care of our resources. I believe in stewardship. I believe in being a good steward and part of that is our planet and this wonderful world that God has given us and I don't want to live in a city where the smoke is pumped so black that you can't even breathe when you walk down the road. But what I'm saying is that people give their entire life to this cause and it becomes their religion and they're looking to that as purpose for living their life. But I don't believe in what often they would say the science is selling. There's a very interesting verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 20, when Paul said, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science... Falsely so called. The word there for science has to do with knowledge or science. It's the word that we would apply to scientific studies. And the Bible says that sometimes there will be science that is falsely called science because it's not really grounded to true knowledge and to the word of God. And we'll hear people who claim to be experts say that a baby in the womb that has a heartbeat and DNA and fingers and toes and a face isn't really a human being and it should be okay to destroy that life. But then they also will say, well, a man can become a woman simply by stating that. And that's scientific reality. I'm just here to tell us this morning that when we reject the Word of God, there is a clear regression in Romans chapter 1 that will allow those who are thinking they are being wise and smart to be foolish. By the way, evolution, which is taught in the schools, I believe, is a lie. The Bible says that God spoke the world into existence in six literal days. And if you believe in evolution, you have to believe it by faith. Not only do you have to believe it by faith, but you have to believe in the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything. You can either say, well, I believe there was an all-powerful God who spoke the world into existence and gave it rules and laws by which it operates. Or you can say, well, there was nothing, but somehow there was enough of nothing to make an explosion. And then this beautiful world that we live in came about by accident that's not the way it works. We don't look at a skyscraper and say, well maybe there was an accident and it fell together on its own. We don't look at the clock and think that happened by randomness or accident. We look at the clock and explain it by the clockmaker that there was someone who knew what he was doing and designed it and put it together and my Bible tells me the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. There's no language, no tongue, no speech where the witness of creation does not tell the hearts of every man and woman. There's a God that created this, and you must seek that God. In the 1970s, they said the big danger is global cooling. We better watch what we're doing or we're going to have another ice age. Look it up. Time magazine ran it on their cover. Global cooling is the threat. Then in decades to come, that transition to global warming, and now they kind of figured out we're just going to call it climate change because whether it goes up or down, that way we'll be able to say we were right and that we could have avoided it by what people were doing. I personally believe that oftentimes these things are used as tool, s- tools for control for people who would like to control other people's lives. You'll see people who say, well, in 10 years, Ford is going to be underwater. And that was about 10 or 15 years ago that that projection was given. But then they take private jets all over the world and they become millionaires by selling their books with all these predictions in it about the end of the world that scared everybody that didn't come true. Throughout COVID, as we said, yes, a lot of people got sick and a lot of people died and it's tragic. But we also saw a lot of people in positions of power have a whole lot of hypocrisy in the way they carried things out. And the mayor of Chicago gave an order that all of the haircutters and salons had to be shut down. And then she was caught going to get a haircut. And she said, well, I'm a public figure. I have to look good on TV. People won't know what to do if I don't have a good haircut. Same thing happened with the Speaker of the House in California. The governor of California was caught in a restaurant having a private dinner without a mask even though the orders he signed forbid everybody else from doing the same. And then the governor of New York, I don't want to get too far into this, but I do have a point that I'm trying to make. It's documented, it's it's admitted to. He He signed an executive order saying that if an elderly person tested positive for COVID, that they couldn't stay in the hospital, the nursing homes couldn't refuse them. They had to let them stay in the nursing homes. So it spread around and killed a bunch of the vulnerable people in New York. Then one of his aides was caught on tape on a phone call saying, well, we edited those statistics because we were afraid of getting prosecuted. If we kept accurate statistics for what happened, then he resigned in disgrace because of a history of decades of not being able to keep his hands off of all the people who worked for him. What am I saying? I'm saying there are people who will use these things to try and gain their own political control and that as Christians we should not put our faith in human leaders but rather in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what party they're from or which side of the aisle. We're supposed to look to God as our hope, not to people. Not to people in leadership because they're all sinners and they're all going to let us down eventually. The founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they had a saying when they said, No king, but King Jesus. And God warned His people in the Old Testament when they said, Give us a king that we may be like all the other nations. He said, Be careful if you give one man that much power over your life because he'll take your sons and send them to war. He'll take your daughters for his own purposes. He'll tax your vineyards and he'll take and take and take. What am I saying? I'm saying don't listen to someone just because they say I'm a scientist. Or don't listen to someone just because they say I am your wise leader. Don't question what I have to say. Look to the Word of God. Look to the truth of it. And this morning, I just want to proclaim personally, I believe the Bible. I want to take care of the planet, but I want to choose to live my life in a way that is more concerned with saving the people who live on the planet and their souls coming to Jesus Christ than I am about the planet itself. Very interesting to note that God made a promise in Genesis eight twenty one and 22. After the world had flooded, God made a promise. After they made the sacrifice, He said this, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in His heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. I won't destroy the world by flood, God said. Then He made this promise in verse 22. Genesis eight twenty-two: While the earth remaineth, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God said, I promise that as long as this earth hangs around, which by the world he, way He didn't promise, it would hang around forever. But He did promise that as long as the earth is here, springtime and harvest, seed time and harvest is spring and fall, cold and heat, summer and winter. He covered all four seasons and said as long as the earth is here, you'll have all four seasons and day and night to enjoy so I'm not primarily concerned with my life about bringing down the carbon so the planet doesn't burn up and we never have seasons anymore because God promised that we always would. There will come an end to this earth one day. Second Peter 3, 10-12 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This world is temporary. It will pass away, but rather as an act of God's judgment. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Let me move quickly. Some dedicate their life to animal rights and to trying to make treatment of animals better. There's an organization called PETA, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, and they spend all this money and give all these campaigns and make billboards and commercials. And they say things like, don't drink milk. Drinking milk is mean to the animals. It's not your milk, it's theirs. One time they had a thing that's a billboard that said, if you eat meat, it's murder. I remember being younger and seeing on the news one time when a person from one of those groups was talking about, about being against fishing. And they said, you have to remember a fish is a person too. <laughs> They're really not. But whatever you're arguing, a fish is not a person. I believe that we are better and of more value to God than the animals are. Matthew 10.31, Jesus said, Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. What was He saying? He said, even a bird God cares about. By the way, the Bible says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. You should love and care for animals and make sure that you don't mistreat them. God sees when the bird falls to the ground. But Jesus said, I value you as my children more than I do many of those sparrows. A biblical worldview says that animals were put here to be a blessing to God's people, not us to serve them. I lost my place in my notes. Okay, here we are. God created man to have dominion over animals and have them to be a blessing to us. Proverbs 27 And 26, the lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, and for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. God said, I gave you animals so that you would have provision of those things. And even of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Luke twenty four forty two. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. If Jesus ate meat, then it's good enough for me. The animals would eat you if they had a chance to. I'm just saying, it's only fair. I'm trying to keep this moving. I'm trying to say there's a biblical worldview. And then there's a bunch of false answers that if we dedicate our life to will not bring us genuine comfort because they are lacking truth. Some people dedicate their lives to such causes. How sad and how empty. By the way, evolution also leads to racism. Evolution leads to us teaching our children, saying, well, we're just animals that have evolved a little bit farther than the other animals. And Hitler said, a Jew or a person who's black has not evolved as much as white people, and that's why it's okay to kill them. But it's all a lie. Some people dedicate their lives to living for good times and for partying and all the fun that they can have. As the Bible quoted at one point, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was a saying of the people there. They would say, "Ah, eat, drink, have fun, we're going to die tomorrow anyway. That's what life is all about. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon went and he decided to try and get whatever he could from this world to bring him joy. He got men servants and maid servants and dancers and he built things and he got all kinds of pleasures. And then he said in Ecclesiastes 2.10, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. The richest man that ever lived, with the greatest ability to go get whatever he wanted, said, I tried everything I could possibly try, and he described it as vanity and vexation of spirit. Those words mean emptiness. And the word vex is if you were vexed through with arrows. And we look at Hollywood and we see people that have everything. And we say, how come their marriages can't stay together? And how come they're addicted to drugs? And how come they're in and out of rehab? And the answer is that we could party our life away. But that does not bring meaning. That does not answer the longing that is in our soul that God created us with to want to know Him. It's vain. It's vain. And it's empty. The world says, party to forget your troubles. But you wake up the next morning, your troubles are still there, and now you've got a hangover on top of all of your troubles. Jesus Christ says, come to me, and I'll help you solve your problems. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There was a young man I knew who was called to preach and had a lot of talent at it and worked in ministry and did a lot of good things. And then he got to a certain point where he said, I'm not making any money and I'm going to quit going to church so that I can go to college to do something that makes more money. And then he moved in uh, with someone he wasn't married to and started living that lifestyle and was basically turning his back on anything ministry or on anything serving the Lord. And then he got up to speak at a funeral of someone else and he said, well, this morning I just want to say we're here to remember the good times because that's what life is all about. When we stand before God one day, Christian or not, that will not be what life is all about. Our life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. You could live your life for all the parties you want to have and all of the good times you want to have and all of the pleasure and all the Nintendo games you want to play and the roller coasters you want to ride. But what a shame for a child of God to say life is about how much fun we can have. We look around us and we see evidence by people who are running from God who do not know Him that they try all the world has to offer and then they turn and they say, "'Vanity, emptiness, why comfort ye me in vain?' there remaineth falsehood in all your answers. Jesus said when warning against money and riches as the purpose of our life in Luke 12, 15, and He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Jesus said your life is not about things. It's not about how many things you can own. And I believe right there in that passage, it was the rich young ruler and then the parable of the man who had all he could ever want And He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'll get more and more, and then I'll take my rest. And God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be whom thou hast gained? Ecclesiastes 5:10 through 13. I won't read them right now, but it says, "He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. If you love money, you won't be truly satisfied because you've got money. If you love pleasure, you won't be truly satisfied because you have pleasure." And he goes on to describe how that often riches are a curse to them that have them, and the man who works hard all day sleeps good at night, but the rich man stays up all night worried someone's going to take away from him all that he has. Jesus said, just remember your life is not about things. It's not about how much you own. Parents, don't teach your children either expressly or by your attitude that life is about money. It, education is good. It's, it's, honor, it's worthy of honor. It's a good pursuit. But if you teach your children that education and therefore money is the most important thing that they can live their life for, You're failing to teach them that the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. With all your knowledge and all your understanding, get knowledge of God. Live for His will and put that before everything else. People live for all these things, for self-pride, for humanism, whatever else it may be. Number one, the world offers false answers. Number two, and I'm going to wrap up, false answers bring no comfort. That's why Job said, I can't be comforted because what you're saying is not even true. And all the answers that the world gives if they do not involve God, if they do not involve Jesus Christ and His Word, they're false answers, they're vain comfort, and they cannot bring peace to the soul that only God can bring. Why? Because they lack truth. Tom Brady is probably one of the most famous athletes in America and he's won, I think, seven Super Bowls now and he's in his 40s and he's doing this crazy program and who knows what else and he just keeps getting better and better and his body isn't wearing out. But one day he did an interview back after he had won three or four Super Bowls and he was telling the interviewer that his life still lacked joy and fulfillment and everyone was telling him, you should be happy because of what you achieved. But he said, There's something missing in my life and I don't know what it is. He told the interviewer, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer asked him, What's the answer? I wish I knew, he said. I wish I knew. I believe this morning that as the church of God, we have the answers, not because of our wisdom, not because of our intelligence, but because we have the Word of God, we have the Gospel. And He said, you can share the truth with the world that will bring the joy and the comfort that none of these other things can bring. Number three, God's answers are the only truth, and they alone can bring true comfort. God showed up to Job, back to that story in the end of the book. Job had started to complain. He'd started to come to God and say, God, why have you done this to me? It's really not fair. I didn't do anything to deserve it. By the way, I'm not here to bash Job for that. I think he did a whole lot better than I would have done. Or maybe you would have done after all he'd been through. He still, after his children died, looked at his wife when she said, just go ahead and curse God and die. There's no reason to retain your integrity. He said, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But still in his sorrow, he began to become overwhelmed and he questioned God. And as you read to the end of the book, God shows up to Job and God does not come and say, Well, Job, let me explain to you. I know it looks like I'm wrong, but here's some things you may not have considered. Let me try to talk you into the fact that maybe I'm right. God just showed up and appeared and spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. And he said, Job, I've got some questions for you. He said, You see this planet we're sitting on right now? Where were you when it was founded? Were you the one that figured out how to hang it upon nothing and let it sit up here just close enough to the sun that it doesn't freeze and just far enough away that it doesn't burn up? Look at these animals in the creation. Were you the ones who made those mountains, Job? I forgot. Are you the one who did all these things? And for three chapters, two, three, whatever, four, whatever it was, chapters, God just asked him question after question, and God was reminding him, I'm God. You're not. I'm all powerful. You're not. You may not have all the answers, but trust me that I do. Amen. And when God stopped, Job said, Before I'd heard about you with mine ear, but now mine eye seeth thee face to face. Wherefore, I repent, I humble myself and repent in dust and in ashes. He said, God, I'm so sorry that I would question you. Then God was done talking with Job and he looked at those three friends we talked about and he said, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about and you're wrong and I'll forgive you if Job prays for you. And Job lovingly turned and prayed for his friends and God turned his captivity around and he blessed him with more than he had ever had before. Not just with children and with possessions and with wealth and with animals, but God took the story and put it in the eternal Word of God so that every generation of the church that was going through a trial could read that book and say, I need to check my heart, but maybe it's not that I'm more wicked than anybody else who ever lived. Maybe, just maybe, God has a purpose in this, and I can trust Him. Job was comforted not when God came and explained himself to Job, but when he was reminded that God is truth, God is sovereign, God knows what he's doing, and his answers are truth. Where do we get truth this morning? We get it from a Bible that we're blessed to have on our lap, on our phone, where other people have died and longed for one little portion of Scripture. We have it available to us every hour of the day. The Bible says that God said His words are pure words. What does that mean? They're pure, they're perfect, there's no falsehood in them at all. The Bible is our source of truth. Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There is no falsehood in Jesus Christ this morning. There's nothing wrong with Him. He had a trial and they tried him in Pilate after hearing all of the witnesses. They paid people to lie about Jesus and they could, still couldn't get their testimony to line up. They were caught in contradictions because though they called him all kinds of names and made all kinds of accusations, their testimony could not agree. And Pilate, after hearing all they had to say, stood up and said of our precious Savior Jesus Christ, I find no fault in Him. And no one has ever genuinely found fault in Him this morning. And if you don't know Him as your Savior, if you'll come to Him, you will find no fault in Him either. He's holy. He's precious. He's truth. And whatever question you have, Jesus Christ is the answer. For your life, for all mankind, the Bible says, I'll say this in closing, all things were created for His pleasure. God did not create the earth and human beings because He needed us, but because He chose to and He wanted us. He created us with a desire to know Him, to fulfill our purpose. The book of Ecclesiastes says in the King James, He has put the world in their heart, in the heart of every man, woman, and child. And what that word world means is eternity. It's used in a figurative context there. but The Bible says that God has created all of us with a longing and a desire to, To know about the things of eternity. To have answers to our questions and to know God. When do we have joy? When do we have peace? When do we have fulfillment? When we fulfill the purpose that we were created for, which is fellowship with God and for His pleasure. Jesus appeared to Saul and told him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The picture was an oxen whose purpose was to get in the yoke and to pull the cart, but when it would turn and kick back and not want to do it, and it would be hit, and it would be poked, and it would be prodded, he would say that's hard for that ox to do. But when it fulfills its purpose, that's when things go well. And he was saying to Paul, you're kicking against what I've created you to do. Surrender to God. And then comes peace. This morning I want to spend my life not living for false answers, but proclaiming the truth, because I believe God, I believe His Word. The answer for all who seek, for all who are hurting and searching, is Jesus Christ. The world's answers are false, but God is truth. Let us follow Him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. If Rebecca would come and play for us just a verse or two, we'll have a time of prayer this morning. If there's anything you want to go to the Lord about in prayer at the altar in your seat or see me about, let's have a time of prayer. I know we've gone a little bit late this morning and hopefully I'll be able next week to get back on track to our normal time. But let's take a moment and pause and let's pray. Dedicate our lives to Him. Thank you all for your patience this morning. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being my brother and sisters in Christ. If there's anything I can do for anyone, please don't hesitate to reach out and to let me know. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you that it's been good to be in your house this morning. Thank you that we have truth. Thank you that we have the Word of God. May we dedicate our lives to live for you and for the truth, not for any of the lies that the world would offer us. Help us to keep a heart of love and compassion for those around us who do not know you, and for other brothers and sisters in Christ who may be different than us. Lord, help us love all people and strive to show them the love of God. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.